We are glad you're with us today. We've been in a series um, on spiritual maturity, and what we're what we're talking about is we want to become mature believers. We there's a lot of comparisons to parents raising kids. You know, you have kids, and they start out as infants and you have to do everything for them. And the goal as parents with kids as they go through school and middle school and high school and move out one day is you want them to mature. You want them to grow into adults, be uh, responsible adults. And so there are always little seasons that we have with our kids that we're so happy when they outgrow those seasons, the fussy eater season, the throwing a temper tantrum season, the not sleeping through the night season. We experience that with our kids. Maybe some of you are living that right now, and your goal is, yes, we want them to outgrow this season. We were, um, yeah, we, we were making some comparisons as a church uh, a couple weeks ago to there's times with spiritual maturity, how sometimes we can get stuck in a certain stage of our spiritual maturity, or sometimes we get stuck in spiritual adolescence, or maybe we're in the spiritual fussy eater phase or throwing temper tantrum phase. And uh, so that's what we're talking about, spiritual maturity. And if you have a Bible, I'd love to have you turn to John chapter 1. And there's kind of one main thought that we're going to kind of establish and then launch from there for everything we're going to talk about this morning. And this main thought can be found in the story of John the Baptist in John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and this is the story of when John the Baptist um, comes on the scene. Now, if you are familiar with Scripture, you know that uh, at the end of the Old Testament, there's, you know, the, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, and the end of the Old Testament is a lot of prophets and they're prophesying, and the temple's being rebuilt after the exile, and all these things are happening at the end of the Old Testament. And then there's this gap of time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Actually, chronologically speaking, there's about 300 to 400 years where God really wasn't speaking a whole lot to the prophets. He wasn't saying a whole lot, certainly nothing that's recorded in Scripture. But even in Jewish historians would say, yeah, there wasn't, there was really no prophecies, nothing from God. And so I imagine there was a lot of a lot of years, I mean, that's generations and generations and generations who were thinking, boy, we've heard about this God who speaks to us, but yet we haven't heard anything. I wonder if God has gone silent, if God has gone quiet, or if he's done with us. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist appears. This is before anybody knows who really Jesus is. This is John the Baptist speaking on behalf of God. So not only is what he's saying important, the fact that God is speaking through somebody now after hundreds of years of silence, this is a big deal. John would begin to get noticed, and he appears preaching about a coming Messiah. All the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, John is prophesying, it is coming soon, the Messiah is coming. John is a big deal. He's getting a lot of attention. And as a result, lots of people are following him and wanting to find out who he is. And so we're going to pick up the story of John the Baptist in, in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19. It says this. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Again, he's, kind of a, he's getting a lot of attention, and so the religious leaders are like, who are you? And so it says in verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, who, well then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? No. And finally they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? In other words, you're a big deal. We need to know kind of what's up. 
who you are. Make a name for yourself. Establish your name so that we know who to tell you that is, or who to tell is prophesying. And John says this in verse 23. I love this. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, John the Baptist is quick to say to the people who are like clamoring for his attention, tell us who you are. You're obviously a big deal. You're speaking on behalf of God. And John the Baptist says, you know what, wait, I know what you're thinking. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not a prophet. I'm not Elijah. I'm just a guy who is telling the people, prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, I'm no big deal. I'm just telling the people to get ready for the the guy who's going to be the big deal. All right, so then jump ahead a few verses in verse 35. This is the next day. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So John had his own disciples, and they're seeing Jesus, and John the Baptist says, look, there's the Lamb of God. There's the big deal. There's the one we've been talking about, to the point where some of John the Baptist's disciples leave him and go and follow Jesus. Now, losing followers takes on a whole different meaning in today's world, right? When you lose followers because you post something on social media, it, you know, you're like, how come they're not my friend anymore? I don't feel that, you know... I I actually don't mind. I'm sure I'm losing friends all the time on Facebook. And you realize, yeah, social media friends aren't really all there. There's people that you're like, so I'm totally getting sidetracked here. I might be digging myself a deeper hole. There's people you're like, I don't even know who they are. And they all of a sudden, they don't want to be my friend anymore. And I'm like, well, okay. Um, Anyways, for John the Baptist, I imagine there was that moment where his pride as a rabbi or a teacher, who you had following you was was a big deal. But yet another sign of his humility, another sign of how he was focused on Jesus, with his own disciples, he's saying, guys, that's who we need to be focused on. This is not about me. And so some of his followers, some of his disciples leave and follow Jesus. And then jump ahead to uh, chapter 3, the Gospel of John. Chapter 3, verse 26. Again, this is like the next day. This is as Jesus is gaining a following, and and John still has some disciples, and this is what happens in John chapter 3, verse 26. They came to John, John's disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, talking about Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. So the disciples are recognizing, we're losing our influence here. If this was kind of like a business model, they'd be like, we got to change our plan because more people are being baptized by this other guy. More people are going to him. And here is John's reply. Again, get his humility here. To this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends to the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. So when John is talking about the bride and the bridegroom and the friend, what he is saying is, I'm kind of like the best man. Jesus is kind of like the bridegroom, the groom. He's the big deal. The best man is not there to make it all about himself, but we point, we're happy when the bridegroom is getting all the attention. So first of all, this is in a different culture than we are now, because we all know, especially us husbands know, who have been through a wedding, um, back then, it was all about the bridegroom. The groom was the big deal. Everyone was there to see the groom. 
We all know that's not the case anymore, right, men? We can nod in that. Yes, nobody cares about us. Very few, maybe our moms care about us, and that's about it. Everyone's there to see the bride. I remember when I was getting married and husbands, you were there. I learned early on. My preferences for this whole ceremony really don't matter much. Whatever the bride wants, we're going to keep the bride happy. Amen. All the women said amen. That is the key to a happy wedding ceremony right there. It's about the, it's about the bride. Well, here's what John was, John was saying. Oh, have you ever been to a bride, like a wedding, and at the reception, you know, when they have the best man or the maid of honor get up and, and share a toast, and you know right away, oh, dear, they're going to make it all about themselves here, right? This is kind of what John the Baptist is talking about. He's saying, I'm like the best man. Jesus is the groom. We are happy when he's getting all the attention. In this day and age, it's like, we're not here to make it about us. We're here to make it about the bride. She's the one getting all the... We don't want to make it about us. And this is what we get from John the Baptist. Those, every time he's saying it, every time his disciples are saying, hey, look, we should be getting some attention for ourselves. Hey, look, Jesus is getting more attention from us. Look, some of your followers are now following Jesus. We've got to do something about this. John, in such a great example of spiritual humility, is saying, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And this all culminates in the very next verse, right after he's talking about how we receive joy when we point people to Jesus. He says this in verse 30, and this is what I want us to get. John the Baptist says this. He must become greater, talking about Jesus. I must become less. He's telling his followers, and this is the message for us today. If we are following Jesus, we simply say he must become greater and we must become less. Amen? This is discipleship. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, that's it in a, in a very tweetable phrase right there, right? That's it in a nutshell. That's the motto. He must become greater. We must become less. We make more about Jesus and less about ourselves. And that is a constant battle that we walk through. But if we want to be spiritually mature, we have to get that. It is not about us. It is about him. Even in our theology and our faith, we have a tendency. We can make it about us, and it's not about us. We make much about him, less about us. He must become greater. I must become less. What an example from John the Baptist. If you want to grow into a mature believer, do we want to grow into mature believers? Yes, we do. Bearing fruit, seeing the Holy Spirit come alive, having him do a work in us. If we want to mature in our faith, that is the heart of it right there. We focus on him more. We focus on us less. And Jesus taught this himself, if you want to jump back to the Gospel of Matthew. This is later on when Jesus is teaching his disciples. Jesus' disciples have this bad habit of making it all about them. They're thinking, Jesus, you're like a superstar. You're getting all the attention, and we're like your right-hand men, and we're going to be like getting attention too. We're kind of a big deal because we're the disciples of Jesus. It's kind of that clamoring for position we all know people that are kind of the ladder climbers, right? They're always clamoring to get noticed. Maybe you work with some people. You call them the ladder climbers. You're like, they're always trying to establish themselves. This is what the disciples are doing. And Jesus teaches them in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And I'm sure his disciples were like, oh, that doesn't sound as much fun as what we want to do. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This is Jesus teaching that same thing. If you've been around church, 
You, maybe you've heard us refer to it this way or you've heard to a pastor or a Christian say, it's dying to self. Have you ever heard that? We die to ourselves. We die to ourselves. We die to our flesh, our sin, our desires, our wants. It's the same thing that John the Baptist was saying, the same thing that Jesus teaches, the same thing that we must get if we want to mature in our faith. We die to ourselves. We don't make it about us. And this is the key to spiritual maturity. It's important to have maturity in every area of our life. Christy did such a great job talking about this last week. Emotional maturity, we want to grow emotionally in in the ways that we view ourselves and our desires and what we want. We want to mature in our relationships and all these things. There is is an area of theological maturity that we need to get in terms of what we believe about God, how we approach our faith. Because here's one of the little... um, the little insights or the little secrets about being a Christian is that we have a tendency to make even our faith be all about us, right? We have a tendency to make, um, make the gospel message be about what we want. And we know that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is what Jesus is teaching. We are sinners, we are far from God, and Jesus paid the price for us to be forgiven and set free. Amen? This is the good news. And so when we receive that mercy, it's not about, yay, now I can live for me all I want. I'm forgiven, and Jesus is going to give me everything I desire, like a genie in a lamp, like, Lord, I wish for this, and poof, there it is, and now I'm so happy. No. The gospel is this. When we follow Jesus, we die to ourselves. Daily, we take up our cross, and we follow him. We put our faith in Jesus so we spend every day dying to our old life, our old self, our old sin, and we follow him. He must become greater, we must become less. He must become what? Greater, and we must become less. And the tricky part is to not make it about ourselves and our faith, to not make it more about us. Because our flesh, our self, when I, when I refer to our self or our flesh, I'm referring to like, temptations, anything, anytime you desire something, you're like, oh, that's going to make me happy. Oh, I want that. You know, to put it in a very pedestrian term that we can all understand, you're trying to watch what you eat and there's a brownie over there and everything in you is like, you need that brownie, right? You're like, you're totally fine to eat that. And it's amazing how quickly we can justify things like, well, I did can you know, stand stand on my feet for three minutes today. So that's probably the same as eating that brownie. Or, you know, how, how often we can justify, like, things that we want that we know we shouldn't have. Man, we are good at believing the stories that we make up in our minds to justify getting what we want. This is self. This is flesh. This is our old self, our sinful nature. And it is so common and so easy to just justify what we want, to find ways for our, even our faith, to become about gratifying the flesh and self. Because our flesh is so sneaky and so subtle, and it never goes away. The bad news today is following Jesus. It's not like after seven days of denying self, self gets the idea and moves on, and you never have to worry about that again. It's a daily battle because our flesh Our appetites, our desires, temptations are so sneaky, they want to work their way into every part of our life, including our faith. And our faith becomes self-focused when we think, well, Jesus, we want to to make you great so that we can also be great. We want to make a name for you, Jesus, so that I can make a name for myself, so that you can give me what I want. Lord, I want to make more of you in my life so that I can win every argument with my coworkers when we talk about spiritual things. I can be right all the time. There's a lot of people preaching a gospel that is this. Put Jesus first in your life, and he's going to make you rich and make all your dreams come true. Right? We've seen that. 
you want to you could probably turn on the TV and when it's time to send in your offering of any amount that you, you know kind of get that guarantee you they're going to be saying if you will sow the seed God's going to make you rich and it's like um, you know someone running for class president vote for me and I'm going to make all your dreams come true there's going to be a pop machine in every classroom and all that stuff right we can make our faith about us and the tricky part is there's preachers all over that if you lined up 10 preachers me included, and you would find a topic, and there would be 10 disagreements on what it really truly means to be a follower of Jesus. So this is a little side note today. This is why you individually need to be in your word, in the Bible, so that you can know what it says. So that if by chance, I'm not planning on doing this, but if by chance I go totally off the rails someday, if by chance Christy starts teaching like total prosperity gospel, right? That would be pretty funny. That'd be pretty awesome. You can say, uh, I'm not sure that that lines up with what I'm reading in the Word of God. This is why you need to be feeding yourself the Word of God. Our goal here is to not have a bunch of people that come in and need me to explain the Bible to them. That's not the goal. That's an immature faith. We want mature believers that are self-feeding themselves the Word of God. It's the same way when you have a small child. You all had babies, and it was like you had to feed the baby, right? And it was, here comes the choo-choo train. Here it comes. Open up. You've been there, right? The goal is to have them not be a college student coming home from college and you saying, okay, here we go. Here comes the choo-choo train. You know, here's your hamburger. You know, something like that. That's, the goal is for them to feed themselves. Um, we were remember. I was remembering this. Lucy, our oldest, when she was a baby, she loved all orange baby foods. Anything orange, carrots and squash and sweet potatoes, anything that was orange, she loved it. And anything that was green, she hated it. And like beans, peas, anything like that. And we're like, we'll just keep feeding her the orange stuff. And like she likes it, it's great. And then one day we noticed, like her skin looks a little orange. Like, I think we might need to broaden this out a bit. Like, that might, we might be overdoing it with the carrots. But we want you in the Word so that you can feed yourself. We want you to be self-feeders of the Word of God. So spiritual maturity is never going to happen without you individually spending time learning what the Word of God says and applying it to your life. This is the, the heart of spiritual maturity. You have to be there. It's great to come to church and hear, or log on to a podcast and hear someone preach. It's great. There's tons of great preachers in the world, but that cannot replace you learning from the Word of God if you're going to be a spiritually mature believer. Amen? In fact, the New Testament, the apostles, they talk often about false teachers. They talk often about people that are preaching a gospel that's not the true gospel. The apostle Paul spends a lot of times in his letters talking about, beware of these false teachers, these false people. They're not teaching you the gospel. They're not teaching you the word of God. you got to watch out for those. There's actually two main false teachings or false groups that Jesus warned against, that the apostles warned against, and I think we have a slide for that. One of them was the Pharisees. So we've heard about them. These were the religious people, the rule followers. They were all about Old Testament temple system. They would have been the Old Testament believers that followed the law of Moses, followed all the rules and the regulations. They were all about animal sacrifices and rituals and circumcision and following the rules and the laws of Moses. So when Jesus came and started teaching about it's not about that, it's about grace. It's about the sacrifice that Jesus put on the cross. When the apostles are teaching, saying it's not about following the rules, it's about Jesus and his mercy. It's because there was all these old temple thinkers who were saying, okay, Jesus died on the cross, that's great. 
But now we got to go back to the Old Testament system again. And Jesus is saying, no, that's false. That's false. And the, the fruit of the Pharisees was they were always right. They were always judging other people. They had themselves elevated on this, I'm always right and you're wrong. We know people today in our world, maybe you have some friends that when you go over to their house on Thanksgiving, crazy uncle's going to show up and he's like Mr. Theology and he can point out all the reasons why you're wrong about everything. That's the fruit of that. It's I'm right and you're wrong. If you have a theology that means that you're right all the time and everyone else is wrong, then you fall into that category a little bit. And that's one of the things that the apostles and Jesus himself were warning against. And the other group is a group called the Gnostics or Gnosticism. That's a that's a nasal word right there, Gnosticism. And this was a very different view. This was more about, it's all about the enlightened mind. It's all about thinking spiritually. And in fact, the flesh and the physical body, you could kind of be like, that doesn't even matter because it's all about being enlightened in your mind. And so much so that then they would say, whatever sins I commit with my body, it doesn't even matter because I have an enlightened mind. And more egregious than that, it was, look how spiritual I am because I can have an enlightened mind and I can participate in all these terrible sins and I can still be spiritual. This was their false teaching. You'll see the Apostle Paul in his letters talk about them a lot because he's saying, no, 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 it's not just about your mind, it's about your whole self, fruit of the Spirit, resist the old flesh. It was just a a justification for them to indulge in sin. So you've got those two groups, the Pharisees and the Gnostics, and they seem to be opposites, right? One is all about following the rules, and one is you can do whatever you want, right? But there's a common theme between those two, and you kind of pick up what that common theme is. It's all about self, It's all about self. It's all about I'm always right. I'm the best. I can do whatever I want. I'm better than you. You know, it's all about self. That's flesh. That's what we are to die to. That's what Jesus is saying. Deny yourself. Die to yourself and follow me. So when we talk about spiritual maturity and theological maturity or what you believe, let's think about your faith. Is your faith about pointing out how good you are and about how everyone else is wrong? Is your faith about making you happy? Is your theology all about you? Well, then you're missing the mark because what did John the Baptist teach us? He must become greater. We must become less. So here's a little test, a little, a little self-test that you can uh, do all on your own right now. Just think about this, and we don't need any, any answers out loud, okay? Just on your own. Here's a question. How mad do you get at God when you don't get what you want? When you have a moment, a, a moment where you're going through a difficult thing, how mad do you get at God when you're not getting what you want? That's a good indicator about how much your faith is about you. Now, preachers will take that tendency of dying to self, and there's all, like, I always think of disclaimers I need to make. Well, what about this situation? Well, what about this situation? This does not mean letting people, you know, take advantage of you. This is not people, like, this is not about having healthy boundaries or being in an abusive situation or anything like that. Like, I'm not saying that, like, hey, stay in that relationship even though they're hurting you because, well, you're supposed to die to yourself. That's not what I do. And I always feel like I need to make that disclaimer because I'll always get that question afterwards. But if you don't get what you want in your faith, if life isn't going how you thought it was, how mad at you are a God saying, God, I deserve better. I deserve more. What about this? What about what I want? There's a big temptation in the church world. I'll let you in on a little secret here. There's a temptation for me as a, as a pastor and a preacher to preach the feel-good stuff. 
right? There's feel-good stuff that we can preach. God's made you more than conquerors. You can do all things through Christ. There's a great tendency to do that, and there's lots of good lessons in there. I've been involved in church discussions where people are saying, you know what, we just need to preach that. People don't want to come to church to feel bad about themselves. And so we'll, we know that we can grow a church better. I, I bet we could grow it. I bet if I started saying you give in the offering and God's going to make you rich, offerings would go up and we'd probably start getting maybe more people here. Like, yes, I want to be rich too. There's a great temptation to just preach the feel-good stuff to draw a crowd. Because that taps into the self that we all have. I want to I make more about myself. I want Jesus to get me what I want so I feel good and I'm happy. And it's tougher to preach these messages of deny yourself, die to yourself, take up your cross every day and follow Jesus. That's not something you want to put on the billboard, right? It's not something like, yay, that sounds like fun. You know, you're not going to say, hey, come with me to church. we got a great church where you can die to yourself and take up your cross and Con's just like this, oh, man, we all walk in and bless God. It's a day to die to ourselves. That's not what I'm talking about, but that's a tougher message, but that is core of what we are. He must become greater. We must become less, and we are so good at making things about us. We were talking about this a couple weeks ago where we were looking for new songs to teach. We're always looking for new choruses to teach in, in worship and listening to different albums. There's so much, so many good worship artists out there, lots of great worship music. But if you listen carefully, you can realize a lot of times these worship songs, that's a lot about us, right? It's a lot of, it's very me-focused. Like, I'm going to be happy. Jesus, because of you, I'm going to be awesome, and everything's going to go great, you know? Uh, <laughs> Jesus, I worship you because you make me happy, and you give me stuff. Give me, give me, give me stuff. Whoa, oh, Jesus. You know, a song like that. That's a, that's a hit right there. Let's write that down. If we're not careful, we can make this all about us and gratifying what we want, right? That's the point I'm making, somewhat awkwardly, I'm sure. This is a constant battle because we are so good at justifying selfish gratification. I, I made the reference to that brownie. Oh, I'm so good. I've earned that. I deserve that. This is why, actually, a side note, this is why fasting... I think, I mean, there's lots of benefits in why Jesus teaches us to fast, go without food and focus on prayer for a certain amount of time. It might be a, a lunch, it might be a day, it might be several days. But one of the reasons why fasting is so good, because food is like automatic flesh self-desire. I mean, we need food, but there's also we desire food. And so fasting is just a way of you pushing down the flesh, saying, you don't control me. It's just one very tangible way to say, you know what, I know I desire that, but you don't control me. My flesh does not own me. My desires do not own me. But there's more than that. It's more than food. There's, there's so many ways that that flesh, that old self can just sneak in. You know, it's that boost. Self is like that boost of emotions when you, you feel when somebody likes your social media post. This is like an epidemic amongst young people. I'll say young people so we don't have to focus on how we're exactly the same as adults. But young people, it's like, their mood is dictated by how many likes they get on a, on a post. We do the same thing, adults. We just won't tell our kids that, right? The, that boost you feel when you are recognized. Or maybe it's in a conversation where there's that desire. You're telling a story, and you know the certain details that you can just twist a little bit because that's going to make you seem a little bit better in the story. Or that detail that you can twist to justify why you're mad at that person, make them seem a little worse, make you seem a little better. We do that. That's so subtle, right? That happens all the time. That desire to gossip or put someone else down. That desire to have a lustful thought about another person. 
or to keep things for yourself instead of being generous. So many ways that our flesh, our self, just sneaks in. And that's why it's a constant reminder. These scriptures are a constant reminder. It's not about justifying our flesh and ourself. It's not about justifying gossip or lust or addiction or greed or judging other people thinking that we're better than them. It is about denying our flesh, dying to ourselves, taking up our cross, and choosing to follow Jesus. Amen? That's it. He must become greater. We must become less. He must get more of the attention. We must get less of the attention. And our flesh hates that, and it's going to cry out every day, no, focus on yourself. That's why it's every day. We take ourselves, we bring ourselves to the cross of Christ. As he was nailed to that cross for us, we nail our old sinful nature and our flesh to the cross every day. We have a friend of ours who is a former professor of ours and a good friend of ours, a huge influence on our life. He would always tell us about dying to self, and he said it's a daily thing, every day. And he, said, and he would say it this way, every day I drag myself to the cross, and sometimes my flesh is kicking and screaming like a toddler, right? And I, you know, we wouldn't do this to a toddler, but he says it to himself, I, by the scruff of the neck, I drag my flesh to the cross, kicking and screaming, saying, today I will die to myself. I will make more about Jesus and less about me. And it is every day. And there's times where it's going to be like, I don't want to die to myself today. But this is discipleship. Again, this isn't billboard material, but this is spiritual maturity. I'm going to deny what I want so that I can honor Jesus. Every day in my relationship with Christy, how can I honor God and how I love her? It's not about what I want, even though marriage to her is great. <laughs> Times when there's a disagreement, maybe once or twice that we've had a disagreement, it's how can I honor, how can I make more about Jesus and honor him and be less about me? And every time I'm like, oh, I could totally win this argument, even though I probably couldn't. And I could totally say this that would, you know, settle the score or no. How can I make more about Jesus? How can I die to myself? She does the same thing. When we both do that, that's what makes a healthy, mature marriage. Other than that, relationships with your kids, coworkers, when you're facing a temptation, something that keeps tripping you up in your life, a temptation to gossip or to put people down, a temptation to lust after, have lustful thoughts, a temptation to whatever it is, something that keeps tripping you up, and you're like, oh, why does this thing keep bothering. Well, that's your flesh. That's yourself. That is flesh trying to run your life, and it's a daily, you know what, today, I nail that to the cross. I die to myself. Jesus, I want to live for you today. In every temptation, he must become greater. We must become less. We die to our flesh to glorify God in our lives. This is how we will mature. This is how we're going to grow. This is a theological, spiritual maturity. This is not about us. This is about he must become greater, we must become less. Amen? So my challenge to you today, every day this week, try it for a week. And I told you already, and I promise you, it's not after a week, it's, your flesh is not going to go away. That's the bad news. But this week, in the morning, just start out. You can read those verses from the Gospel of John, where John the Baptist said, he must become greater, I must become less. It can even start your day with just a simple prayer. Jesus, today I want it to be about you and honoring you and pointing people to you and less about me. Help me to die to myself today. Help me to die to my flesh, my sinful nature. I want to be more about you and less about me. Amen? Amen. So I wanted to close with a scripture that we're going to read, that I'm going to read. And this really is kind of 
summarizes everything that I've been talking about today. This is the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. So why don't we do this? Let's stand together. We're going to read this together, and then we'll have a time of prayer. I'll read this for I just want you to look at these words as I read them and just allow the Holy Spirit to kind of reaffirm what we're talking about today. He must become greater. We want to live for the Spirit. We want to live for God. We live for Him and we die to ourselves. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 25. It says this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. That sounds like our world today. Beware of destroying one another. So I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature, yourself, craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. That's a great line. Love that. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, Envy, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Your old self and old sin has been nailed to the cross with Jesus and crucified there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Amen? He must become greater and we must become less. Let's pray together as we close. So Holy Spirit, we just take a moment right now and we just invite you to search our heart. Search our heart. We don't want hidden areas of sin, complacency and compromise. Every area of our life, every area, relationships, temptations we face, how we think, how we act when we're on our own, when we think no one's watching, all of these hidden things, we bring it to the cross of Christ. We want you to bring healing and restoration and forgiveness. And now today, we declare we're going to, every day, make more about you, more about your glory and your name, and less about us. We die to ourselves, Our selfishness, our desires, the old sin, those areas of our life that keep tripping us up, the areas of compromise that so easily work their way into our life, Again, we remind our self and our flesh that has been crucified with Christ and we live new life in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, do that work in every heart. We surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.